the movie. It's a good one. Yeah, you're not going to see the end of it now. <laughs> hey, while we were worshiping, uh, something kind of came to my mind, and uh, it was actually one of the, I think, from the song All Creatures of Our God and King, written by St. Francis of Assisi in 1225 A.D. Isn't that great? I love, I love when we do songs that are very old. But <laughs> it's kind of little likes me. Um, but one of the lines in there which says, cast all your cares on him. And I want to read a passage of scripture even before we begin this morning from 1 Peter 5 where um, he says, Peter says to them, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. And then he says this. He says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Isn't that radical? How do you humble yourself before God? You cast your cares upon him. That's, that's what it says. Isn't that cool? And uh, it was interesting. Last night, Carol and I, we prayed before we went to sleep. And uh, just a lot of heavy stuff. It's fall and there's a lot of busyness. But just... A lot of heavy stuff going on with our lives, and we spent some time casting our cares on the Lord, and it was freeing. What I want to do is give you about 30 seconds this morning, right now. I'm just going to have a moment of silence, and I want you to think through, Lord, what, and what am I carrying that I don't want to carry, that I want to let you have? And right now, we're just going to cast those things as a church that God can take. Uh, he's infinite. He's indescribable, as that song said, and he can take all these cares Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. So I'm going to just give you a minute. Why don't you just take a minute? I'm going to open in prayer. I'm going to give a space where you can just dialogue with God and give it to him. And then I'm going to close in prayer. Okay, let's pray together. God, during worship, it just came to my mind again how we need to be people who are humble. And the way we humble ourselves is we take our issues and we say, God, I can't do this. I can't handle this. It's bigger than me. We put ourselves in the right place. And so I pray right now that you're by your spirit, you would move in this room, and you'd communicate to every single person here what it is that they should cast, like, like throwing a fishing lure out into the lake, cast it upon you. Open our hearts now as we individually, God, come to you. Lord, your word promises that we should not be anxious about anything, but by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, we should present our requests to God. 
And then the promise is, in Philippians it says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Be with us, Lord. Help us to find things from your word this morning that we can walk out of here and be different because your word changes life, changes lives, Lord God. And I, I pray it change our lives. Do that in Jesus' name. Amen. In the movie The Matrix, uh, uh, and I, I, it's a very violent movie, so I, I, don't, I don't necessarily endorse it, but, it, but it's a very good movie at the same time. You can kind of filter out the, the violence thing. Um, in the movie The Matrix, what there is is there's this reality. It's a science fiction movie. There's this reality where everybody's living, they're being born, they're having childhood memories, they're going to school, maybe they're meeting a sweetheart, they're getting married, they have kids, they have a career, they go through retirement and they die. It's all this reality that they go through, but it's not really a reality at all. It's just something that's, it's images that are being projected into their brain. The reality is, is that everybody, every human that exists at this time in this science fiction movie exists in these pods individual pods where they're being pumped in these visions of what life would be like, but they never actually leave the pod. They're being used for energy source by this art, uh, artificial intelligence. Uh, they're being used for energy. Not to go into the whole movie, but there's, there's this reality that they think's happening, and it's not reality. They're in this pod, and a few people have broken out of the pod. You saw Morpheus there, by, played by Lawrence Fishburne. He comes to Neo, played by um, Canal Reeves, it says, gives them the option, the two pills. Which pill would you like to take? The blue or the red pill? He says, take the blue one, it'll just be like, dream's over. Take the red one, and I love this line. This movie's just made for classic lines. But he says, and I'll show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. That, that's a, that'd be a great title of a book, huh? How deep the rabbit hole goes. Re referring to uh, Alice in Wonderland. How, you're living a fantasy. This isn't a real world. I want to help you to see the real world. And I'll show you how deep the real world goes. Well, he chooses that pill. Right before he chooses it, he says, remember, the only thing I'm offering you is the truth. That's it. No other guarantees, just the truth. He takes that pill. And he finds out, if you continue to watch the movie, he, he's actually in this pod. And he has to break out of this pod. And now he's living life as it really is meant to be. It's not just images. It's real life. He was living a lie before. Now, in the 1960s, uh, sociologists came up with a name for this kind of living, where you were living a certain way, kind of like pod living. You had your, your world is kind of ordered into this grid, and you, some event happened or something happened so that you all of a sudden change, and your whole world turns upside down. They called that a paradigm shift. Now, that, that phrase is way overused now, but what it basically means is when you have the opportunity to rethink everything. Your world is shaken and all of a sudden it turns upside down and you look at everything differently. Some of you in this room are going through a paradigm shift right now. If you're a freshman here, I'm not going to embarrass you because uh, we pick on freshmen here, but uh, <laughs> no, we don't. Uh, if you're a freshman, you are going through a paradigm shift. It is called mommy and daddy aren't around anymore. Woohoo! Right? It's amazing that you're here this morning. Right? <laughs> because you're free. You think you're free. By the way, enjoy the next four years. They're the freest of your life. I'm so busy. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> you, you're, you're not. 
Wait, wait, it gets much worse. <laughs> this is not Sympathy Community Church, is it? This is not, not getting a lot of sympathy from me. But you're going through, you're going through a, a, a change, a big one, and you're looking at life differently. For the first time in your life, the values, the things that you decide who you're going to be, you're going to be, over the next four years, if you're a freshman, in the next four years or so of your life, you are going to be a different person. You're going to decide the course where you're going to go. You decide your careers. Many of you might meet a spouse or in the next five, seven, ten years or so, meet a spouse, might have kids. It, it, a, route, a route of life is going to happen, a paradigm shift. Some of you are in the biggest paradigm shift of most people's lives, and that is after you graduate from college, you're thinking, oh, this is easy. Anybody can do this. Well, you've got to understand, for the last 18 years of your life, you knew it was coming the next fall, right? If you're in third grade, it was fourth grade. If you're in seventh grade, it was eighth grade. If you're a freshman, it's a sophomore. You're a senior, you get that piece of paper, and guess what? It's life. Well, what do I do now? I don't know. Figure it out. You got all that education. Figure it out. <laughs> and it's like, ha, 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 It's freaky. Some of you are going through a change in life. Perhaps someone close to you has passed away, or a relationship has broke, or a new relationship has started, or whatever. It's scary, though. Because it's a change. You've got a paradigm thing happening. Some of you are going through a change of career. I speak with some of you who are going through that, and that's scary too. Some of you in this room are going through a spiritual paradigm shift. For the first time in your life, you're asking the question, am I a follower of Jesus? Then ask you if you believed in God. It's the difference between a believer in God and a follower of Jesus. And you're asking yourself, am I going to be a follower of Jesus? For the first time in my life, am I going to own this? Or am I just going to kind of go with the flow? And you're going through it. It's, it's earth-shaking. It was for me. It happened to me as a freshman. When I made a decision to be a follower of Jesus Christ on my own, not anybody else, not my friends, not my parents, or whatever, I decided I wanted to do that on, the, on my own. We're going to meet somebody this morning. We've met him already in our study of the book of Acts. We're going through the book of Acts right now called Church on Fire because the early church in the book of Acts was on fire. And we're going to see Peter this morning, and Peter is going to go through a paradigm shift, big time, over the next three weeks. Now, let me just give a little disclaimer here. <clears throat> this is probably one of the weirdest messages I've ever going to have to preach. Actually, it should be about uh, one. It should be about seventy some verses long. But uh, uh, I got tickets to the Viking game today at three, so we're not going to go that long. So uh, we're dividing this into three weeks. It's a one sermon, but it's three weeks long. And the weird part about it today is we're not going to re really resolve it. You're going to leave your kind of, you're going to be hungry to come back next week because we're going to somewhat revolve, resolve it next week. Let me tell you what's happened so far. Jesus ascended after he was raised from the dead. He, in the book of Acts, he ascended. And 40 days later, <clears throat> um, 40 some days later, it wasn't exactly 40 days later, the the Pentecost happened. And what happens then is the Spirit of God came on the Jewish believers, the people who are of Jewish uh, background and were followers of Christ, came upon about 120 people. And it was radical. They spoke in other languages. They could prophesy over people and say what was going to happen. All kinds of crazy things were happening. And this started spreading. They say that in that one event, about 3,000 people made a decision to follow Christ and where this, this Holy Spirit came on them in a radical way. 
Well, then this thing spreads. Persecution happens there in Jerusalem where we're at. Persecution happens and it starts spreading all over the place. And one of the places it spreads to is this land called Samaria. Samaritans were half-breeds. They were half-Jewish and half kind of a pagan culture. And yet, the, this whole message and the same activity happened again. This, the the uh, Holy Spirit came on them in a remarkable way and it showed everybody that, wow, I mean, God even loves Samaritans. That's radical. These people who are half Jewish and half pagan. In the next three weeks, we're going to see how this spreads out even further. And it's going to cause for Peter and his buddies a major shift in the way they think. Now, so if you want to open your Bible, we're in Acts chapter 10. Open up your Bible. You can grab that insert that's there. We're going to look at Acts chapter 10. We're going to look at just the first 23 verses. This account, and then one other account, so it's this account with what's going to happen with Peter. He's going to meet somebody by the name of Cornelius. That account, which takes about a chapter and a half, and then um, another account with Peter, and then we're done with Peter. And then from there on in the book of Acts, it is going to be Paul. We're going to look at three different kind of scenes or three things that are happening in this passage. Acts chapter 10, starting in the first Verse, at Caesarea, now listen, ah, let's see, I have a shiny diamond, I should always have shiny diamonds. Where is Peter now? Where's Peter? Don't look, look at me, look at the birdie. Where is he? Where, oh man, that's a really good answer. Simon the Tanner's house, very good. And where, what city is Simon the Tanner's house in? Oh, come on. Oh, and I only got a dime. I'm going to give it to him, because that was pretty good. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, Ooh, he drops the shiny dime. I'm not sure if it was shiny. I, I, but he's in Joppa, and it's at Simon the Tanner's house, which that's really all we know about Simon. That's, that's all we're ever really going to know about Simon. But Joppa's about 30 miles away from Caesarea. So at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Okay, first scene, we're going to meet Cornelius. Who is Cornelius? His occupation, he was a Roman guard. He was a Roman centurion. What it was is it was like a captain in today's army. He was a very, very uh, respected man. And each uh, legion was 6,000 people. They divided those 6,000 people into 10 cohorts. And a centurion was one of the ones that took over 100 of those people. So there's 600 people in a cohort, and they divide that into six. And so there's six centurions per cohort and uh, 10 cohorts. I do, yeah, 10 cohorts per legion. So anyway, to make the point is he was over a hundred men. There you get the name Centurion. You know, we have a cent, hundred of them make a dollar. That's where the name came from. He was a man who was probably uh, the backbone 
of the army. The centurions were the one that kind of ran the show. They were the backbone of the Roman army. So this is no slouch. This is no guy who's, you know, just making up stories. This is a very respected person in the Roman army. It says also in verse 2 that he was a devout man. Now, religiously, Romans, because this guy's a Roman, he's, he's not a Jewish person, he's a Roman, and they had a lot of pagan gods. They had all these different gods with every, whatever day of the week you wanted a god, you got a new god, and the whole thing. Well, this wasn't true of Cornelius. Cornelius, it says, was a God-fearing man. He was devout. He also was a good man. He says he gave generously to those in need. And he prayed to God regularly. So here you got a Roman. He's going upstream. He's, he's big time in the, in the military, yet he's not following the ways of that culture. He's going upstream there. He's a follower of the God of the Old Testament as much as he knows. But he's not a Jew. To, to, it was a Gentile. Now a Gentile is simply a non-Jew. But it's a little bit more than that. If you look in the Old Testament, uh, when Moses was describing who the Israelites, that's another name for who the Jewish people were, in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 14, it says, to the Lord, Moses speaking, he says, To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it, yet the Lord set his affection on your forefathers and loved them, and he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. The Jewish race was a chosen nation by God, physical descendants of, of, of Abraham, they were chosen by God to be God's people. Not because there's anything special about them. In fact, God said, I went and chose the worst one, so don't take any pride in who you were. But I did choose you. There was a nation of people biologically put together that was God's chosen people. And this guy was not part of that. He was a Roman, he was a regular guy, call him a God-fearer. They would have said that he was a convert to Judaism if he had made the switch to even go to be a convert. You could become a Jew, but it involved certain things. And one of the things, it was circumcision, and most guys were, whoa, thank you, I'll just be a God-fearer, thank you, that's enough. It was really a stumbling block. So they wouldn't do that. So here's a guy who's devout, and he follows, but he didn't convert. And he certainly wasn't part of the biological seed of Abraham. So he's not a Jew. Yet, this is God's chosen people. Now, I'm not going to embarrass anybody, but I'm guessing that not many people in this room are of Jewish descent. I'm not going to embarrass, but, I, I'm, you know, not many in this room. So, that's kind of interesting. Well, if they're God's chosen people, how do we get to today where this room is filled with mostly non-Jewish people? How does that work? And you know what? That was God's plan. He wanted it to start with Israel, but he wanted it to spread. And it was supposed to happen at the end, what they call the end times, which we are living in, if you follow your Bible. In Isaiah 49... Isaiah prophesies about this and he says in verse 5, And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob. Stop right there. The uh, Bible is very poetic. It just means Jewish people. So tribes of Jacob. And bring back those of Israel, Jewish people, I have kept. 
I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. So, God's intention was when this happens, this is going to be a radical shift. No longer is it going to be a biological group of people and those who convert to this group of people, but it's going to now be other people as well. But it hadn't happened yet. And so this is who Cornelius is. And it's an amazing thing that an angel of God would speak to a Gentile. It's an amazing thing. God is going to start to fulfill what's happening here in Isaiah 49. Look at Cornelius' response. It's great. Angel spoke to him, was gone. He calls two of his servants and says, go to Joppa. Let's have at it. It's a great response. I suppose, you know, I don't know, I haven't had too many conversations with angels, but I, I, I guess after the initial fear were gone, everything, you'd probably do what they said. And that's what, that's what he does. He just right away says, let's go to it. Okay, so what you see here is God, through an angel speaking incredibly clearly to Cornelius, who is not a Jewish person. He's a God-fearer, but he's not even a convert to Judaism. And we're going to find out next week. He doesn't really know anything about Jesus or anything, but he speaks very clearly to him. He tells him exactly what to do. Get some people, send them to Joppa, find Peter, bring them back. That's exactly what he's supposed to do. Communicates clearly to this guy. Now, this is where it gets kind of cool. God also gives Peter a vision. But it ain't clear at all. Look at verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey approaching the city, so, oh man, this is one of those meanwhile back at the ranch things. You got two things happening. You got these people coming, and he's over here having another thing. Peter went on the roof to pray. Do a little research on that. I have no idea why he went on the roof to pray. Good place to pray or something. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He just went out. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. Peter's a little hard-headed, you know. Didn't quite get it. Three times. And immediately the sheet was taken back into heaven. That's it. That's what Peter gets. It's like, oh, okay, let's see now. Let's compare these two. Here you got the Cornelius thing. This angel says, hi, you're a good guy. We like you. Send two people to go get Peter from Joppa. That's the other one. You got this big white sheet coming down, animals. And he says, eat them. That's it. Now, some of you are poetic and would rather have this, but I'm guessing that most of us over here are like, geez, just give me the two people to send a Joppa thing. You know, I, that's so much clearer. But he doesn't. He, he doesn't give him a clue what he's doing. He just gives him this vision with this sheet and these animals and the whole thing. Now, you've got to understand something here, first of all. Uh, Peter, as a Jewish person, could not eat those animals. Leviticus chapter 11 there's like 50 verses in it. I'll just read just a little bit here. Uh, Leviticus chapter 11. 
says, of all the animals that live on land, these are the ones you may eat. You may eat any animal that has a split hoof completely, divide and choose the cud. So it's got to have a split hoof completely and that chews cud. There are some that only chew the cud and only have a split hoof. You may, uh, wait a minute. There are some that only chew the cud or only have a split hoof. You may not eat them. The camel, though it chews the cud, does not have a split hoof. It is ceremonially unclean for you. The coney, coney? Anybody? Coney Island, maybe? Yeah. <laughs> though it chews the cud, does not have a, a split hoof. It is unclean for you. The rabbit, though it chews the cud, does not have a split hoof. It is unclean for you. And the pig, though it has a split hoof completely divided, does not chew the cud. It is unclean for you. You must not eat their meat or touch their carcasses. They are unclean for you. Now, nothing wrong with uh, pork. Uh, it's fine. Amen. There you go. Uh, it's, it's good meat, but what, what God's saying is here is he's setting dietary restrictions on the Israelites to set them apart from other groups. Uh, the word holy means to set apart from the common, to set apart from that which is ignoble, which is common and ordinary. They're setting them apart. So they're making all these rules about diet so that they're different. Okay? So, Peter sees this Sheet come down with animals that there's some that he could eat, but there's some that he couldn't eat. And he says, no, I'll never eat those guys. Is this a test? Should I eat those? Should I not? And he says, don't, don't call impure what God has made clean. And Peter's wondering about this. We're going to see this in the next verse. Peter's kind of a little bit confused about it. Now, let me just stop here and give you a little mini application. Sometimes... I would say, rarely does God speak like Cornelius, or God speak like the way he did to Cornelius. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to the University of Minnesota. I want you to, don't take the 815 class, I want you to take the 920 class, and I want you, here's your major, here's who you're going to marry, here's your kids, here's the names. Okay? That, it, it does happen sometimes. Most of the time, especially if you read the Gospels, the most of the time Jesus spoke to them, he spoke to them in parables where you got to kind of scratch your head. Most of your life is like a parable. You're kind of figuring it out. Because God knows that's the best way you're going to learn. And so there's something in, in there that's going on with Peter, and he's wondering about this. And that might be where you're at right now. You might be at a point where I don't quite understand what the sheet and the animal thing is about in my life, whatever that, however that translates. Okay, the plot thickens. Verse 17. These people are on their way, remember? While Peter was wondering, he's pondering, he's processing about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, now he speaks clearly to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to them, I am the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. And Peter invited the men into his house to be his guests. Now, P 
Peter is along for a ride in this one. He doesn't really know what's going on. The Holy Spirit told him specifically, go downstairs and don't hesitate to go with them, but he is kind of figuring this out. Sometimes I think when we read the book of Acts, we go, well, this was easy for them. This is easy. I mean, the Holy Spirit was just speaking to them, telling them exactly what to do. It's so simple. Whoa, back the bus up. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. Peter is clueless here. He really doesn't know what's going on. Finally, the Spirit says, this dude's not going to, why don't you go get the door? And don't hesitate to be with them. But he doesn't say, and by the way, you're going to fulfill, Peter, Isaiah 49. Woohoo! You get to be the one that's going to open the floodgates and people like Cornelius are going to get to come in. He doesn't say that. He says, why don't you think a little bit more about the sheet thing? That's all he gets. The reason for that is the sheet thing for Peter is not just what he eats, but who he associates with. And it's going to be, we looked in Isaiah 49, it's going to be the opening of the floodgates so the people who are non-Jewish can have the benefits of what Christ did for them. That's going to be a floodgate. And that's going to turn Peter and all the apostles' worldview upside down. Everything they had known from birth was stay away from Gentiles. Stay away from them. Keep your guard. Even the ones who convert, be a little bit suspicious of. And all of a sudden, everything is going to be flipped upside down and they're going to have to say, God, we are relying on you and you alone to help us figure this out. Question I have for you this morning in closing. We'll get to see the punchline of this, what happens next week. It's kind of a two-parter, or actually a three-parter. But the question I have for you this morning is, are you willing to take the red pill? Are you willing to take that pill that will let your paradigms be shattered if necessary and let God change you from the inside out? Are you willing to say, God, I think I got things figured out. You know what? I want to submit myself to what your word says and I want to be changed from the inside out. Whatever you're going through, whatever you're those 30 seconds we took in the beginning and you're casting your cares on God, are you willing to say, God, those things that I thought were burdens were actually the very things I prayed for. I prayed to get to know you better and then you put this rotten situation in my life. Hello, answer. Are you willing to say, God, you are that big. You can do that. Remember, if you do take that red pill, just like what Morpheus said, all he's going to give you is the truth. It might be hard. Let's pray together. God, I just want to thank you as a Gentile. I want to thank you that this passage is in here. I want to thank you that you saw fit that it was too small of a thing for Jesus just to die for the chosen race of Israel. And that you have included those of us who are non-Jewish birth. You've included us. That's huge. You didn't have to do that. And you did that. We're going to see next week how that all happens and how, how that gets fulfilled. But Lord, we are just so thankful that we are part of the plan. Lord, I pray for people who are native Jewish people who are by birth. We can trace their lineage all the way back to Abraham. Oh God. For those who have not yet bent their knee to the Messiah, to Jesus Christ, that they would do so. Even maybe some in this room. 
I pray, Lord God, that you allow us to be followers of Christ, whether we are Jewish or, or not. Lord God, more than anything, as we look at the principle of this and what's happening to Peter as he's getting prepared to be a minister of the truth to Cornelius, he had to go through a paradigm shift. And some of us in here are going through that right now. We pray that you would guide us in it and that we would be willing to say, yes, Lord, I will submit myself to truth. I will submit myself to being a follower of you so that I can allow those things that need to be changed to be changed. And God, the other thing is we just trust you for the journey we're on, wherever that is. We just want to trust you for it. God, as we worship you now, as we close, bring those things to mind where we need to lay them at your feet. We pray this in Christ's name.